Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. What's up, everybody? We are so excited to introduce you to Joanna Zabel. She is an experienced coach, and I'm telling you, just an incredible human being. We first met her down in San Antonio, Texas. We were at the NSCA National Conference, and we ran into an old buddy of ours, uh, Tex McQuilkin, whose old friend, Joanne Zabel, um, you know, they were heading out to dinner. We sat down, we essentially, we walked the river walk, found a good spot for dinner, sat down and talked shop, and just felt like we all immediately hit it off. She's just, a, she's a fantastic human being, clearly a fantastic coach, and we're excited to bring you the conversation today. A little bit of her backstory, Joanna currently holds the position of, check this out, it's a long title, but it's worth it. Laboratories Coordinator for the Metabolism and Exercise Testing Laboratories in the Department of Exercise and Nutrition Sciences at George Washington University. And as long as that is, it doesn't even do her justice because she's a rock star and and, uh, when you hear about her work, it's just really exciting stuff. She's also an adjunct instructor at the school. She teaches Essentials of Strength and Conditioning to undergraduates and was recently appointed to the position of Director of Sports Performance for Soldiers to Sidelines, which is a nonprofit organization that develops all branches of active duty, retired, or wounded military members into coaching through seminars and clinics. She's awesome. Uh, oh, by the way, she's an elite volleyball player and has been uh, a, a coach at Marymount University for, I think, 12 years, and they've had a, a fantastic amount of success. You'll hear more about it in the podcast, but we love sitting down and chatting. Uh, we hope to do it again, and as we mentioned, I think there's a lot to learn from today's guest, Joanna Zabel. I was young, I was a female, and I was there with a bunch of football players. That's who I primarily trained. Um, Gonzaga Gonzaga College High School in DC, I trained them for a summer, um, and I ran that, you know, I worked for that football company. So, you know, it was all football players which I love because you don't have to teach durability, the need for durability. You don't have to teach all that to them. They know it. They know they need it. They want it. Right. So they're hungry when they come in, they're hungry. So that's great. But there is a lot of um, ego and jockeying and all that stuff among these types of coaches that I have dealt with that you're talking about that they're saying like, yeah, you know, violence, you know, but, and they're saying things like, you need to be a man, but not in the context of what I would say that that means. Um, and so it was interesting. My contribution to them was turned into almost motherly um, because a they'd never had that that type of a, a coach before. And so they didn't really know how to interact with me. So I had to teach them how to interact with me. And a lot of that came from just drawing boundaries that maybe they didn't have with some of their male coaches. There was no, there was no hint of any type of bad language in my weight room. There was no, you know, hint of any type of joke. I had, um, I had a basketball team run for quite some time for some jokes that they told, um, in front of me, but the, the rule was you don't, you don't say anything that you would, you wouldn't say in front of your grandmother in front of me. So they, you know, and obviously I wasn't their grandmother, but I wanted to elicit that type of respect in their minds. And a lot of these guys come, came from either single parent homes or something like that, or their grandmother was raising them. So there was that almost veneration of their grandmother. And I thought, you know, Hey, let's, let's start from there. 
And let's talk about, let, let's use this space, this space, the weight room as a space or the track or wherever we were as a space of respect. And it's mutual respect, you know, coaching dynamics, whether it's a female coaching males, it's a male coaching females, male coaching males, female coaching females, female coaching males when there's females around, um, you know, mixed groups. There's so many nuances to how you can address them where you can use to like either motivate or you have to be very careful with how you're speaking to them to 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 respect them, you know, because if you disrespect them, they're not going to they're not going to reciprocate that respect. They need to understand that you care about them. You respect them as an athlete, as a person. Um, And that was always clear. I mean, I think I always made that and I still do, you know, make that very clear when I'm coaching that, hey, first and foremost, I respect you. I respect what you're doing. You have goals. We're going to get there. We're going to do that together. I love that. When when you you mentioned the nuance of um, all of those different possible scenarios, what are some things that you look for when you're sort of surveying a room to pick up on that nuance? Oh man. So th- this is a funny one. I, f- I, I find myself to, to be, I don't know if you would call it an empath or what, but I, I'm, I can tell, I can read a room well. Um, and I don't know if that's a, that's from coaching so many kids and so many people, um, or if that's just something about who I am and my personality. And that is why I have a proclivity for coaching. You can tell, you can tell that, that, that high school boy likes that high school girl right there. And, you know, if you comment on his outfit or his, um, you know, his running technique too hard, he's going to, he's going to take it pretty hard in front of that girl that he likes. So that's not going to work. That's not going to create a successful environment for that kid on that day, you know? So just kind of reading the room or seeing who's friends, seeing who is a stud, you know, who want kind of needs that to be, to be pumped up a little bit and, and for people to know they're a stud or, whether it's somebody who needs an extra push, you know, I've had athletes, you just see them, you, you know, if you see them day after day, when I was a head strength and conditioning coach, um, seeing kids day after day after day, you just, you start to get to know their personalities and, and things like that. And you see them off. Like, I don't need a readiness score to look at that kid and know he's not doing well today. What's going on. And again, being a female coach, you know, I'd have my, you know, baseball players and my like 60, you know, 60 man lacrosse teams or whatever in the weight room, just me. I never had assistance or anything. And I could pick out, you know, first and last name of every kid and what their, you know, little personality nuance was. And I prided myself on that. I think that that's important to like know your athletes and then when they're having a bad day, make them feel comfortable enough that that if they need to talk to you about it, or if you just give them space and honor that moment for them and just know that, okay, that kid usually works hard. Something's up. I'm not going to jump all over them right away and be like, Hey, you know, work harder. I'm going to say, what's going on. And not that there's a right or wrong answer to that question, but I think you got it right. And, and, and yeah, because I I think, and, and if you had gave me some specific examples of how it looked, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense to me. But I think what you're talking about is the only way to be right all the time or that that's impossible. Right. More often than not, it's impossible, but, but your method of 
just just genuinely trying to get to know the kids and then uh, sort of reading body language, reading the energy of the room, and yeah. most importantly, maybe recognizing when things are off. We have a term, maybe we talked about this in San Antonio, I wonder if I shared this or not. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but we, um, we use scan for deltas and we got it from a, a friend of mine who's a Navy pilot and, and the metaphor looks like this. It is, and when you think about when you walk by a commercial, <clears throat> on a commercial flight and you peek into the pilot's cabin, how many buttons and switches and knobs, like it's just like everywhere. And uh, the one question is like, how could they possibly manage all of that stuff? Well, they have this term called, you don't manage everything all at once. You're constantly scanning for deltas. And the delta is, well, this gauge is supposed to be straight up and it's, and it's low. You know what I mean? So, so you get to know the situation so well that when something's off, that catches your attention. Right. And I, and I, and I think listening to you, it's like, well, you, maybe this is the only strategy. Get to know your people really well. And all of a sudden, like you said, you don't even need a readiness score. You, Joe or Alice, you know, something's, something needs to be addressed. And then you start to dig into your coaching toolbox and figure out how to address it. Right. Exactly. Yep. So after that, where did you go? What was your next step after football? After football, um, I graduated uh, from from the Masters of Strength and Conditioning program at GW. Um, I did a little bit of like research assistant work there. Um, I was a graduate assistant there during my uh, during grad school, and then um, I actually got the head the inaugural head strength and conditioning um, position at my undergrad alma mater, which is Marymount University in Arlington. And so that, you know, <laughs> that was 17 teams by myself, um, you know, and just kind of running around trying to figure out what that looked like for one person in season, out of season. When do the athletes have access to me as a D3 um, college uh, or university? So, you know, you have a lot more NCAA regulations on you with the coaches having contact time with the kids. And so, um, we use that as and there's no regulation on contact time with a strength and conditioning coach. So we used, uh, my position as a, an out of season contact time with the, um, more out of season or just preseason athletes. Um, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I won't yeah. lie to you. It was a lot of work. Um, super fulfilling. Um, learned a lot of lessons. Um, but you know, it was, it was a great time there. So other than obviously kind of learning on the fly, um, what were some strategies you took for that? Like, did you divide up? Did you have like a, did you divide up by season? Did you divide up? Like, how'd you break up 17 teams and make that manageable? So (laughs) was it manageable? No. Um, no. So it, I had the off season teams. So in the fall, I would have the winter and spring. Um, but the winter had priority because they were ne- you know, their season was next. And then, and that would, you know, continue to cycle through that way. Um, and, you know, I met with each coach, did a needs analysis, what they were seeing in terms of injuries and things with their teams, what they wanted. Some, some teams didn't, didn't want it or they like acted like they didn't want it. You know, the coach would saunter by my office and be like, Hey, what do you think about this? And like, act, you know, have, 
have little consulting with me, but never have his team train with me. So I was like, that's fine. Um, I don't have time. And I was teaching undergrad classes there at the time as well. So it was, it was a lot, but, uh, and then, you know, I'd break up cause again, I didn't have any assistance. So if I had the baseball team or the lacrosse team, uh, which are both men's lacrosse, you know, and they're both, um, uh, spring sports, it's the biggest teams there. They didn't have football. So they had, you know, 60 on their rosters. So I would do 30 an hour. Um, and by the way, we only had three squat racks. So, you know, got very creative with the programming and things like that. But again, you know, it was, so it's division three. So a lot of the athletes have a very low training age. Um, they're very raw. So, you know, you're, I had, a lot to work with there. So in terms of, you know, getting too fancy with the programming, it it really wasn't necessary. Yeah, it was basics. And we had, you know, dumbbells and kettlebells and three squat racks and then extra room for, you know, some extra barbells behind that maybe. But, you know, we, we made it work. And I basically just laid down the law in terms of safety and said, hey, we don't have a lot of space. We got a lot of people in here everybody is everybody's coach. You know, we're, we're all, we're all playing heads up right now and, and monitoring and coaching each other up. I got to tell you that aligns with my, the way I coach, especially early on almost exactly. So I'm really, I'm, I haven't said this to people before, but I, but I really am sort of in tune with that. Um, I'm convinced by the way, that that sort of makes you a better coach. I think if if you have, if you had 20 racks, unlimited space, a, a, yeah. a host of assistant coaches and high, super highly trained athletes. It's like, whatever, Google a program, throw it out there. You know, I, I think, um, and actually we just published a podcast today with Anna Swisher, who's the director of coaching at USA weightlifting. She's awesome, by the way, great human being. Um, we were talking on that one. I was just sort of listening to our own work, uh, about how you get to the end of these manuals essentially and and no I'm not to discredit the manual at all but then all of a sudden you get to the job and you're like well wait a minute like can't do any of this who gives a shit about mitochondrial density (laughs) I've got 30 people in in three like what am I supposed to do and they're looking at you like what are we doing coach yeah so yeah it, it, that, that sort of – but like, like we both agreed that probably the, the ability to be flexible with your thinking, to anchor your concepts in science but, mm-hmm. but, but uh, identify like what the humans need uh, yeah. and then work with whatever facilities you got and, and sort of put the puzzle together. That's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. That gets me excited actually. <laughs> it's, it's weird it's weird but like i love that challenge like when we we we're privileged to hire now and like if we get people who can't do that they can't that's not our those are they're not our people not to be yeah rude. yeah right yeah no i mean it, and again like i didn't have that experience you know i didn't i didn't come from a nice weight room i didn't come from a nice you know anything it was funny when i when i coached at gonzaga um, in, uh, DC Gonzaga college high school, um, they were under renovations. So again, we had, I don't know, 70 guys, 90 guys. I don't know how many guys were on the team with incoming freshmen over the summer. And we'd have, we were supposed to have like 50 at a time, 
you know? And so, and we had three squat racks as well. And it was absolutely ridiculous where, you know, there were times where I would have to, I would just basically use coach voice and say, Nope, stop everybody racket. And then I'd say, do you see this guy over here? He almost just got his head taken off. What are we going to do about that? You know, and then sort of make that example as many times as I needed to. But usually if you're, you know, if, if you're pretty staunch about that, because, you know, safety, number one, like do no harm. Right. You know, so you can manage it, you know, and as long as you're a good communicator and you can command a room. You know, I, I, I always say like, if you put me on a field with, uh, you know, 50 NFL guys, I would be fine, you know, from having to deal with, you know, seven year olds at, you know, velocity all the way up to, I did train some professional athletes at that time when, you know, when I was a baby coach and it's just, it, it is about managing people and getting their attention and making sure that their attention is what you want their attention on. And so, you know, whatever the program is, whatever, you know, that part is the coaching nuance of it to me is being able to communicate well and not just being able to communicate well, but to be understood well Mm -hmm. in the language that they're speaking, you know, whatever that might be, whatever team that might be, it varies from team to team. Cultures are so different from team to team. Uh, All of that is just the nuance of coaching. I totally agree and I'm I'm happy that you said it the way that you did because I'm I am so convinced the more I think about it that uh like strength and conditioning done well like the on the job skills for you even are are incredibly transferable right it, it, it oh, yeah. the, the the concepts hold like I mentioned there there are anchor concepts there's this need to be adaptable work with the resources you have um, mm-hmm. identify the needs of the people in the room adjust to their learning styles and skills whatever and then yep. really what you just said was it all ultimately will come back to communication Yep. Inevitably, and that could be that could be pulling your voice back in certain situations for certain teams. It could be really mm-hmm. commanding seventy mm-hmm. people and, and just fluctuating through that. That that's a skill for a lifetime, and it's cool yep. to hear that uh, just how good you are at it. Well, it's so funny. I was telling I was telling Tex actually Tex McWilkin when we we were having dinner or something down in Austin before the conference. Yeah. I don't know what got us talking about it, but I remember one of the first guys that was one of my mentors, Kenny Carrington. Um, he played D one lacrosse. He's an absolute animal. Um, he was like, I'm probably going to get the stats wrong, but he was like five, seven, two forty. Not kidding. He was just like a meat ball, like absolute jacked dude. Um, and like could still run a four something 40, like was so athletic and, just a phenomenal coach. And I was shadowing him right off the bat. And I remember one day he goes, all right, Joe, this is what we're going to do. He used to call me princess actually, because I was the only girl. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll take that for now. You'll see though. You know? (laughs) So he's like, all right, princess, this is what we're doing today. He's like, we're going to coach this entire group. No words, only demos. Oh, that's So so good. So we go in and he goes, let's see how good your command is of a room without your voice. So then boom, you know, he's like, he, he, no voice, you know, he just completely shut it down. And then he would, he would like wave his arms and, and like point really strongly and like demo super, you know, 
tight and concise and everybody knew exactly where they were to fall in line form you know formation line up all this stuff and then the next group right after that he said okay this one we're only using our voice you can't use your body so you can't demo you can't do anything you know and he would just you know run these little things to just sharpen each aspect of those skills um and you know and that was it it seems so silly to me at the time, like, oh, we're playing a game, you know, right, right. but now I look back and I'm like, man, he was, you know, he was teaching me something that, you know, I still do in my classroom when I teach undergrads at GW, I'm like, you know, I'll still just silence or I'll put a little extra intonation in my voice. Um, and, you know, the change in their attention and intention um, is amazing to see. Uh, that's so cool. We, we've done uh, silent weight rooms before. Mm. So the kids can't, you know, they have to support each other, all that kind of stuff. I've, I've yet to use that as sort of a coaching development tool. That's so smart. I like that a lot. And then the inverse too. So just practice exclusively one at a time. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really good. Uh, okay. So anyway, so you took all those lessons. You learned from this guy and many others, I'm sure. Many um, others, yeah. And you are where now? So currently, um, my position uh, at George Washington University is laboratories coordinator. Um, I work for the exercise and nutrition sciences department, and we have uh, seven separate, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven separate laboratory spaces um, that are that cover anatomy and physiology, kinesiology, body composition and metabolism. Um, exercise physiology and biochemistry, um, and actually athletic training. So taping, embracing injury, you know, prevention, therapeutic modalities and things like that. And we have those as labs associated with lectures. So, so our, so the final lab is the athletic training lab where we have taping, embracing and, uh, therapeutic modalities and injury, injury prevention, prevention. Um, and, our graduate assistants actually teach those labs that are associated with undergraduate lectures. So um, they're the actual practical part of the labs. Um, And so we have eight graduate assistants in the exercise and nutrition sciences department that are all majoring in um, either getting a master's of science in strength and conditioning or an MPH in nutrition or physical activity. And so those are the students who are teaching these undergrad classes and I help supervise them, create their schedules and things like that. Um, on the side, still at GW, I, um, teach an undergrad strength and conditioning class for non-majors. So it's an interesting, it's also an interesting, um, exercise in, um, teaching to people, an uninitiated audience with those who are initiated scattered about. So we do have some exercise science majors in there that are like, yeah, Krebs cycle, we know, you know, and then there are people who are coming from the business school that their minds are being blown. And so I have to, you know, slow it down for them. And then also just, you know, give them the, why do we care of strength and conditioning for them? They're not, a lot of them are not going to be strength and conditioning coaches. So there's that. And then I also um, have been actually the assistant volleyball coach um, at Marymount University for 11 years now. Yeah, with some serious success, if I remember. We have had some serious success in the past 
couple years. Tell us what that might look like. Uh, we've had a couple of uh, conference championships. Um, got my first ring. Very exciting. Last year. Uh, second ring is coming up in a couple months here. Because, um, you know, they take a little while to order and things. But um, sure. it's a fall sport. And uh, so we won that for the past two years and had our first NCAA appearance um, two seasons ago. And this season had our first NCAA uh, postseason win and actually made it to the round of 16. They don't call it Sweet 16 in volleyball, but it was a Sweet 16, yeah. basically, for, yeah. for Division Three um, women's volleyball. So that was an amazing, an amazing experience, for sure, especially after 11 years of, you know, helping build this program and um, seeing the evolution of that. And it's it's been an amazing journey. That is amazing. What? what okay. <clears throat> now we're almost shifting to a different idea, and so I won't – press you on it too hard over the course of that 11 years like what's the difference like how do you go from wherever it was to rings back to back so you know what the one thing that I not the one thing one of the big things that I appreciate about the head coach and she's been the head coach there I think uh she might be on her 25th I'm, I'm probably saying that I don't know what it is. It's mid twenties, if not high twenties season. Um, she was my coach when I was in college, um, and asked me to come back shortly after I graduated. Um, and she, I mean, and you, I think you guys would uh, appreciate this as one of your values at the good athlete project of a growth mindset. And she really embodies that. Um, and so earlier on in, 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 um, when I had first started coaching with her, she realized that she didn't, she coached, but she had a lot of room to grow and she wanted to learn from those who were the best. And she has, you know, very much, um, committed herself to that over and over year after year. And, you know, obviously she's been in the game for a while. So you would think like, all right, she, she knows what she's doing, right? So she should just do that. She's committed to not only making better athletes, but making better people. So, um, you know, communication is a huge deal. I mean, she's gone through, you know, so many iterations of what do we want to look like? What does our culture look like as a team? What is our motto as a team? What is our word, our one word that, that we can all get behind? And, uh, we read, we have read multiple times. I don't know. We haven't read it. Mm, not this past year, but we've read multiple times as summer reading, uh, the five dysfunctions of a team. Um, have you, do you, are you familiar with that book? No. It basically <clears throat> breaks down a pyramid and it's, it's actually right up your alley. I think you'd like it a lot. Um, it breaks down this pyramid of like what is really foundational. And at the bottom of that is love and trust. And so if we don't have this as a team, every other um, level is not going to be able to be realized because that love and trust isn't there. And, you know, you think about that in like personal relationships, but this guy, the guy who's actually talking about is talking about a work environment. Um, And so we bring it to the team and it's, I think it's used pretty widely in teams. Um, And we talk about this love and trust and understanding that like, Hey, we're all in this together and we're in this to be able to, achieve something that we couldn't achieve alone. And so, 
being able to do that and having that, even if people have dissenting um, ideas or whatever, they always know that they're heard. And even if they're disagreed with and, and everybody, you know, decides on something else, at least they were heard, you know, at yeah. least they were valued in within the team or among the team. So I, I think 100% her ability um, to bring the culture of the team along um, on this, you know, growth pattern and, and being like, Hey, you know, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I have been a coach and some of this is just automatic for me. I can plan a practice and do this, but I'm not afraid to try something new and I will be at every conference and everything that is going to help me become a better coach. And so she, I mean, she's done that. I, I can't say enough about her in terms of her willingness to be vulnerable in that way and just learn. That's awesome. What would you say her name was? Uh, that's Beth Ann Wilson, the head volleyball coach at Marymount University. And that's the idea. And I think uh, I, maybe she's someone we need to talk to too because absolutely we recognize in athletics all the time, athletics and education uh, essentially, I I used to worry that this would offend people. It offends people. I think whoever this offends is probably the person that that needs to be offended by that's it. That's doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. If you get, you know, two moving on three decades into a career, yeah, you're using the same methods you used three decades ago. Um, there's only seemingly one industry where, for at least a brief period of time, I think we're 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 starting to see sort of a sports renaissance. You know, in the way uh. that we approach it. But um, it, it was one of the only places where you could say, I've been doing this for 30 years, and that would be good somehow. Instead of, well, doesn't that mean that the methods are 30 years outdated? How could that possibly work the same for the, you know, right. 30 years down the road? Google is not saying that, you know, like, right. So, um, yeah. th- that willingness to sort of reevaluate and, and, important to note for anyone who's skeptical about me saying that like yes you stockpile your experiences you build your toolbox of skills of of course your experience is incredibly valuable to all those coaches who are experienced out there but um, one of the biggest keys is is like you keep saying and it sounds like your coach also has is a willingness to adapt and to reevaluate yeah yeah I, I mean, well, I've told you guys before, you know, when we chatted about my life mottos over dinner in San Antonio, you know, my number one is, you know, I don't, I don't know yet, you know, we're still figuring it out. I'm always learning. I'm always hoping to get closer to best, but at least get better. Um, and, you know, figure out, you know, what, what might be best, but for now, right. Because, We've been wrong before. We're probably going to be wrong again at some point. Uh, and and get, it's a guarantee. I'm reading actually. I'm, I'm reading this book right now. It, it's um, shoot. I thought it, I sometimes will have it right on me here. Um, I think Feynman's the author's last name. Brilliant guy, brilliant book. If you have any interest in it, we'll send you a copy. Honestly, it, it is about it, the title is Ignorance. And he's this okay. just incredible, brilliant professor who has like every accolade that a professor could just legitimately brilliant uh, talking about the value of ignorance and how science science on the whole, you know, we, we use this word science like it's it's some 
absolute holy term. Like it is mm. the all end all. Um, and he's and, and he just spends an entire book explaining that science is a process. It's a series of best oh, guesses. 100%. And, it, and at every next level, you are, uh, if you do it right, at the end of every experiment, you're left with a host of new ignorances or new things yeah. that you don't know and have to figure out. It's really compelling yeah. that way. I'd love to read that. Um, I read uh, a book called Being Wrong last year. And again, it was that was another huge influencer for me. You know, I, I've always I've already probably over the past five to eight years, um, you know, sort of progressed along the journey of moving away from dogma and moving more towards it depends. Um, but uh, in her book, Being Wrong, Catherine Schultz says good scientists understand that you know, they're a part of a long process of approximation. Yes. So it's these little approximations and they're comfortable working under conditions of uncertainty. So, like, you know, that maybe this isn't going to be right, but you know, you're trying, you're moving the needle, you know? And so I think that, you know, that can be a big issue in coaching is that ego to say like, Oh, my way is the best way. This is the only way, or this is, the thing right and again we've been wrong guys we're probably going to be wrong again yeah yeah to be absolute about anything is silly and that's actually i we shared a little bit about this i've used the word anchor a couple times we use the term anchor very deliberately it's not because like if there's an anchor to your process it doesn't mean it's an absolute now and forever uh mm-hmm. it means it's one of the anchors and if you imagine sort of like a, a boat dropping anchor you can move the anchor it mm-hmm. just takes a lot of time it's harder yeah, yeah exactly but it's it's far more stable um mm-hmm. and so you've got to be you know it, to move it would have to be very deliberate Right. Intentional thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a great metaphor. Uh, I, I think no, I'm not going to go. I was going to try to make a stupid joke, but it's too late at night. I'm, it's going to fall. Um, so not enough you, caffeine. Anchors, though, I, I want to know. It's right. It's exactly right. Um, I want to know a couple and you don't have to share the whole list. Can, can you give people some of your mottos or if you're comfortable yes. with a couple? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that first one was again, you know, always learning and always making, you know, we don't know yet. So let's, let's continue to learn. Um, the next one would be, be honest with yourself and others. I think so many problems arise from not being honest with yourself first. And I think if you're not honest with yourself, it's very difficult to be honest with other people. If you're struggling with something and you're, you know, you're holding that all in, you know, you're a coach, you had a bad day, something happened in your personal life and you come in, you know, and then you start taking it out on your athletes. You're not being honest with yourself about dealing with that first thing before you go and put it on other people, you know? And so I think, you know, really truly understanding our own motivations will help us to be honest with ourselves. And then we can kind of grow out from that and make sure that we're being then honest with other people. Can I, I have to touch on that for a second because it's so, I do, I sort of reflect back to a time in my life, um, high school, but it didn't end in high school where like we, I, I'm being like super open and vulnerable and like, I, that's, that's a learned thing. Like when you're a kid, I think you mm. want to be, you want to be part of the world. And sometimes that means you think you have to act like some, like 
part of the world in some way. And, mm. and that immediately comes with some sort of uh, veil or costume or dishonesty in that way. Um, did I lose you? That's all right. It, it, you, you get the point. Uh, did yeah, pick it comes up? with some sort of veiled... Yeah, like like veil or costume or something like that. Like if you're gonna because yeah. you're trying to go be like that thing that you see or you think you're supposed to. Yeah. And I will tell you yep. that not only is that super important, like what you're saying, to then go be honest and, and effective in the world, but it's also mm. one of the most liberating things that could ever oh my happen gosh. to someone. Once you realize Absolutely. that you don't have to like pretend, it's like it's magic. It's absolutely. So I had an experience when I was a, a, a young, co- you know, whatever, a baby coach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, when I was first, you know, starting out at Velocity and I remember, um, you know, my, my coworkers trusted me as a coach. You know, we had this guy, um, Donnie Zimmerman, who was the sales you know, guy. He was a football recruiter. He was, you know, this big, you know, you know, commanding of the room type of dude. And so he came up to me before I started with a basketball team who had this, you know, gray haired, older gentleman as a coach. And he goes, Hey Joe, um, the guy was a little pissed that he got the girl coach. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'll show him girl coach, you know? And then I proceeded to have one of the worst sessions I had ever coached it. Now nobody else maybe would have known that, but I knew that with myself because I was, I felt the in in on inauthenticity of it and I felt gross afterwards. I was like, man, that's not me. That's not how I coach. I'm a thoughtful coach. I'm a, you know, technique and skills driven coach. I am a communicator. I, you know, I don't run guys into the ground for no reason. And, um, I absolutely did that day because of what I thought someone was going to think of me. And I almost like vowed that day to like, to never do that again. You know, I didn't want to be, guess what? I'm not a male coach. So I'm going to be a terrible male coach. (laughs) Being the most authentic version of yourself is what people are looking for, you know? And, um, you know, you're going to be so much more effective being authentic than you are being anything else, you know, at least, you know, not sustainably, like you might be able to do that for a session like I did. And nobody, I don't think anybody noticed, but sustainably and like to, to, to actually like yourself and look yourself in the mirror, you know, in the morning, being honest with yourself in those situations is huge. And think about the logic of that. It's like, if you are yourself, you stand a chance of maximizing your potential. If you are trying 100%. to be something you're not, you, what, what's the best you're going to get? 85% of this thing that you inherently are not. You know what I mean? You you just could never arrive yeah. fully there anyway. It is, from a logic standpoint, kind of silly, in fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I know Alex is chomping at the bit to... Uh, ask you some lightning round questions before he does. Oh my gosh, I'm so scared about this. Can you give me one more uh, nugget from the mottos though? The mottos. Um, Well, how about this one? Um, Minor on the minors, major on the majors. I've got to, I've got to create, I've got to give credit to uh, one of my best friends from college, uh, Bridget for that one. She, she used to say that all the time. And I mean, it's, it's just a great one, you know, because you're, 
you really got to understand what are, what are the important things? What should I be really worrying about? Because we spend so much of our time worrying and fretting and planning and all these things when in actuality, things usually just work. They fall into place or they weren't as bad as we thought they were going to be. Um, and so spending time majoring on minor things is, is really kind of a waste of our resources and, and, and who we are, you know, so majoring on the major things, prioritizing, making sure those things are important. Um, and whether that's, you know, your own personal health or, or if you're talking about coaching, it it really, you know, is kind of an overarching thing. And then minor on the minors, if it's not that big of a deal, let's not worry about it for too long and let's move on, you know? Yeah. Easier said than done, but really, Absolutely. but really meaningful advice. I will. I'll tell you before I pass it off that I was with a workshop. I was at a workshop yesterday with a, a group of young female high school athletes. What you're saying that was the thing that I think resonated with them perhaps the most. We we essentially we got into like these case studies, uh, these very brief case studies of, you know, have you ever been in a situation where uh, someone sent you a text, say, and someone who you've only had positive experiences with in your mm. life, and all of a sudden you get a text and the punctuation is off, or yeah. say there's something, and all of a sudden you start over predicting and the wheels start to turn just too fast and you're you're going too far with that you're you're going major on minor to use your terminology and uh and worrying 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 and all of a sudden you meet them and you're like and they're like oh no i mean no i didn't mean that it's all good you know how often does that happen and the answer so is like often. all the time yep yeah so i think it's really good advice um yeah all right. the lightning round. what was your first job uh paper route Yes. A butt like bike and everything or no, like, um, so sorry, this was in the nineties. So my mom would drive us around with our legs hanging out the side of the minivan. Yo. Yeah. And we would chuck newspapers that way. I used to do it on my bike every once in a while, but if we needed to get it done quick at like, you know, 5am when you're supposed to deliver newspapers or 4:30 a.m. Yeah, we would we would ride dirty real slow through the neighborhood with the door stuck open on the side of the minivan and just like have our legs dangling out and just chuck chuck newspapers. You ever fall out? No. Uh-huh. I would jump out and run alongside the car. Hmm. There, that's and that's where the 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 passion for fitness came from. I'm an athlete. Let's go. That's, you know, had to do it. Love it. On the paper route. <laughs> Uh, what was your first concert? Yeah, I see. I've heard you guys ask this question before, and now I, I am not quite sure. Maybe it was WMZQ Fest when I was in high school, which is a country music festival. Ah. I am not sure if that was it, but I'm pretty sure something like that. Who were the acts? Do you remember any of that? Oh, my God. No, I went to so many of those things. I was a big I was an avid country fan back in the day. Four was cool. Late, late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, what is your favorite book and movie unrelated to what you do? <sighs> book and movie. Movie, um, man, I, again, because I don't like being staunch or dogmatic or making absolutes in anything, I'm just going to give you an answer here because it's a lightning round, Alex. Um, love Shawshank Redemption. One, one of the classics, that's one, if it's ever on, it's on. I'm watching it. Shawshank's on, we're watching it. I don't care what's going on. Um, book, book. Ugh. 
Also, That's Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I like reading Shawshank Redemption. I like watching Shawshank Redemption. At the same time. No, I, yeah. at the same time. And I'm like, that's not the same. Um, what was he thinking? Um, ah, man. There's an actual, there's, uh, again, I can't, I hate listing favorites. I don't like favorite songs. I don't like any of that stuff. Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller. Phenomenal book. That's all I got for you. I don't know if I've ever, is that a novel? Is it? No, it's, um, I don't even know how to, to explain it. It's a bunch of small musings from him and his, uh, life and growing up sort of religious, but, um, kind of finding his own type of belief system, I think. Hmm. I don't really know how to explain it. Fair. Well, we'll check it out anyway. Um, so you mentioned that you are not really in uh, strength coaching at the moment. We still coach volleyball, but I'm wondering uh, what's the thing that uh, what's something that you miss about being involved in strength and conditioning coaching, and what's something that you're like? I'll be honest, I'm pretty glad that that's out of my life now. Yeah, um, I just miss the diversity of the cultures. So if you were training, you know, I again, I'm only training female athletes right now. So, you know, even training males would, you know, enhance the diversity. Right. Um, and then the difference in culture from like a football team to a, you know, women's lacrosse team to a men's volleyball team to, uh, you know, baseball team to women's basketball, so different. So it's kind of fun to, to see all that and the nuances there and see, how you fit in to all of their different cultures and how you can make a difference there. So I just love that part. Part I don't miss is like what's 14 hour days, like stupid, right? I was like the only, you know, the only coach you're just running around. And I was the volleyball, you know, assistant volleyball coach. And I, you know, was teaching classes during the day and things like that. I don't miss hustling that hard. You can see the value in it now, but you wouldn't go back there. No, correct. Um, one thing we ask people a lot is about uh, self-talk that you use. Now, you, you talked about it a little bit. You kind of have your mantras for life. But I'm wondering if there's any sort of self-talk that you engage in, whether that's on a day-to-day basis or maybe in the face of challenge or something like that. Um, yeah, I, I tell myself you got this a lot. <laughs> I have to remind myself, you know, you got this. It's fine. And also, you know, one day at a time. Um there are so many large challenges that loom, you know, and there's only so much you can do. You can only do today's work today and what's left over for tomorrow. You know, you can, you have to do it tomorrow. And yes, you can work as hard as you can, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to have that balance. So, you know, one day at a time, go crush that day. You can do it. And then go, replenish go do it again love it final question uh you are absolutely a leader in this field so i'm curious what advice you would have for a future leader hoping to embark on a similar journey oh man thank you first of all that's very flattering um i would say again be curious be humble and be hungry you know in terms of knowledge and, and trying to, trying to 
not stop learning, basically. I mean, always just be doing, working towards something, have a goal in mind, and then do something towards that goal, right? Run toward it, take a step toward it, whatever it is, just start moving toward it. Like we are teleological beings, meaning we're moving towards something, whether that's, that's, that's just how we work as humans, right? So, uh, and when we're not, when we're not moving towards something, we don't work as humans, you know? So that's, you know, that's part of why I love sports so much. There's always, it's going somewhere, right? There's always something to look forward to. And, um, and so I would say, you know, always be doing something, always be learning and just learn from as many people in a diverse setting as you can. You survived the lightning round. Great job. Um, all right. Well, we're going to see you at the next NSCA coaches conference or tickets are cheap right now, actually. To so, Come on yeah. out. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.